0: The first episode strikes me as a very Merlin episode, because I feel like they almost immediately Are you going to intro the you... show?
1: What are you doing? Aren't you going to intro the show? What are, you, intro, what the
0: are show? We intro for? What are you, where are
1: where do you? Hey wanna, everybody, are... and welcome back to Top Scallops. Oh, okay. All right. I don't know. Well, let's see, how does it start? It's got the music at the beginning. Seventeen chefs, big flavors, flavor <laughs> bombs, flavor development, <laughs> and a lot of people with extremely strange tattoos. <laughs> what about the guy with the Macklemore hair? Have you met Lumpy Space Princess? It's back. Season whatever of Top Chef. <laughs> How's it going, Max? How's it going?
0: Sh- should I attempt an intro? No, I just did it. We're, we're good to go. We're-, we're in? All right. It's this your show.
1: This is the show? show? The show? <laughs> it's happening. Oh, Max, I'm so disoriented. I just watched so much Top Chef. I forgot there were two episodes.
0: Yeah, I um, luckily I think this is not a problem we'll have to contend with every week, but uh, I think we both just uh, woke up early and very anxiously watched uh, a lot of Top
1: Chef to get ready for this podcast. We did. I almost emailed you last night because I was anxious, and I was thinking, oh my god, I think there's a second episode, but we haven't gotten it on iTunes yet. So I fall out of bed at like 6.30, and it's like, ah, I gotta go watch Top Chef for my work. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, This is one of
0: my superpowers in life, is taking something that I really love and, I, and i'm very passionate about and then turning it into such a chore that it makes me sick to my stomach to think about uh experiencing
1: it it's amazing to be white think about, yeah. think about like how much we can take something that really is just for fun and no one cares about and turn it into something dreadful that you you don't look forward to doing yeah
0: it's kind of our thing yeah well this this the
1: first episode struck me
0: as uh, a very merlin episode there was you had you had i think it, it uh it uh, rung a lot of your bells you had the meat and place challenge you got to meet all the new dinglings.
1: Yeah, I I, I got to tell you, uh, I, I got to tell you, I thought, um, I thought they were both good episodes. I think it looks like a promising season. But yeah, the uh, I was very fortunate because episode one in, in particular had what like three of my favorite challenges. I I love the mise en place challenge. I love the like relay challenge and uh yeah I, I thought it was i thought it was really good
0: who did you when they when they did the introductions and you know you're sort of like in the in the new kitchen for the first time did you pick anyone out of the lineup of like here's this season's dinglings
1: yeah 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 cuz like like we talked about last time i mean every season the composition of every season has to include some dinglings it has to include some people who are probably way too into the smell of their own farts and, and there should also be one person, usually a guy, who obviously is going to always try and cook the same thing. And it's fun when you're starting a new season. You know, you get to see, like, what, what's, what, you know, what's Padma wearing? Is Tom okay? Like, all the questions that you ask yourself. <laughs> <laughs> has, Tom, has Tom been through rehab? Is he going to be okay this season? <laughs> I worry, Max, I worry about Tom.
0: Should Should we? Should we? Is this a good place to introduce our new, our new feature that we're going to do this season?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we have a lot to talk about in these episodes, but uh, uh, one of the things we'll be doing this season is a, is a running feature called Is Tom Okay? Where uh, each week we'll, uh, we'll have a look at how Tom's doing. Uh, has he shaved? Has he not shaved? Does he seem like he's slipping it off? Uh, because, you know, sometimes I think Tom looks a little uneven. You have to <laughs> understand, I think he knows he's the host of a TV show that's been on for a while, but he still shows up. And sometimes, you tell me, in, in my opinion, sometimes... Tom seems a little bit out of it. He seems he seems kind of angry, like kind of a dry drunk. I'm, I'm curious what you think about Tom.
0: Uh, I have not picked up on any of the uh, dry drunk symptoms, but now that you mention it, he is. He does have a little. Uh, uh, he could be a little uh, ornery sometimes.
1: It seems like he had something else planned. Uh, each episode, he had something else planned, and somebody reminded him at the last minute he has to go do a TV show. I like, Shit.
0: <laughs> He's always yeah. He just ran in five minutes before they started filming the season of uh, TV. But I, I do miss. I think it, well, at least the way I remember the earlier seasons of Top Chef, Tom was way more of a mentor. So he would sort of come through the kitchen and taste people's things and give them advice right. and ask them what they were thinking. He had more of like a Tim Gunn role. And that's almost totally gone from the show. And I do, I kind of miss that because I think you saw more uh, human side of Tom where he like cared about what people were doing and helped them out.
1: That's interesting. I, I don't remember him being, I, you know, you talk about like when he does the walkthrough in particular, right? Yes. When, when he goes through and, well, and here's the funny part about the, segment, uh, the first segment of Is Tom OK? Is, you know what? I got to tell you, I think Tom is OK. And I think he, this, this, with this episode, right? One, one, one day at a time. I think, I think he seems okay this episode, and I thought he – I liked his participation in these episodes, where he does that kind of sly, like, are you sure you want to do that with your chicken? All right. Yeah. All right. I, I, <laughs> I, I feel good to say that in these episodes, I think Tom, right now, for now, is okay. Wow, we got a, we got a lot to go through here. Big, big, um, big theme for this season is a, a state called California. It's going to be about California. This is your home turf. Well, I've only been here 16 years. I'm still kind of getting my sea legs. I still don't really think about how I live in California. It's, I, don't, I, I don't think of myself as a Californian at all.
0: 16 years from Florida to California?
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a big step up. It's, 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 it's a big sideways step. It's, it's uh, Yeah, yeah, California's weird. It's, it's, it's weird. But it is, I mean, like kidding aside, you know, as, as heavily illustrated in the second episode that we'll get to, it's like, you know, there are many, many different kinds of people here and there are many many different kinds of food and like you know one of the few very good things about living in this horrible state is that there is like access to amazing pe- people who are first in some cases first generation or second generation folks from other countries uh vastly different cultures uh also vegans but uh yeah it's i think it's gonna be an interesting season and do you get the idea that they're gonna be someplace different every episode or do you think it'll be yeah mostly i think, that's, in LA? I
0: think- I think that's the idea, and I think that's why the kitchen looks so different this season, is it's sort of a modular kitchen that breaks down into trailers, and they take it from city to city with them.
1: Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, there's a video in show notes that I, I couldn't finish watching because the guy was really annoying. There's a video about the, uh, the making of the fancy new kitchen. It's a really cool-looking kitchen.
0: Yeah, I like I like the look of this season a lot, although every season of Top Chef has had worse motion graphics than the season before. It really drives me as a designer, the, the like splashes of motion graphics on Top Chef with like the fake wood veneer. Yeah, what do you think of the wood? Do
1: oh, you like the wood? Oh, it's
0: terrible. It's it's terrible. There's always I mean, it's so bad and cheesy and they clearly have a budget for it. I mean, that stuff's not cheap. It's just bad. Uh, I don't know how that stuff gets made, but it's just it's just so tacky.
1: Well done done poorly, motion graphics, uh, it's like you can't unsee Tim and Eric. Like if you're like me and you've watched like every episode of yes. Tim and Eric, you can't unsee bad motion graphics. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well let's I wanna
0: I want to get into the first episode. I'm curious who you who you picked out as as dinglings. I've got a few on my on my dingling roll call. Here. Well,
1: I don't want to be too critical on Dingling. I think there is one standout Dingaling who is intended to be the standout Dingaling, and that is Philip, aka Man Bun, who, <laughs> uh, who they're obviously setting up to be the douche of the uh, of the season. I don't know if he is. I'm sure he's a very nice guy.
0: This is uh, Scarecrow from the new Batman movies.
1: This is Scarecrow. Scarecrow shows up. He reminds you that he knows lots of bloggers. I think he has eleven different restaurants, and he's on Facebook, and uh, he's just constantly like building his brand in these first two episodes. And I mean. It's obviously shot. I don't know if you noticed in the one in the second episode when they're doing the vegan he's in the vegan group and he actually pushes someone aside so that he can get closer to shake hands with the uh the guy who runs the garden.
0: Oh, I didn't catch he that. He seems
1: very he's young. He's a young guy. He seems very uh very he's very animated, and I think they're they're kind of setting him up to be the putts a little bit. Uh give me one of yours.
0: Uh well well I my, my note about um uh about uh philip was and i I know how these episodes get edited to be manipulative and give you this impression but i just love that the minute you meet him in the first episode uh he first he's uh it goes from he tells you how he's won every reality show and now he's here to win top chef and then he's putting on his chef's coat and he's got nothing on underneath like i always imagine they're at least wearing an undershirt or something but that was a little strange and then he talks about how great he is and immediately sprays an orange into his eye and has to do the meat
1: supply. I have so much to say about the orange. That's going to be like <laughs> the animated gif of the season. Well, you know what? I feel like I want to stipulate two things here. Uh, first of all, uh, I would suggest uh, not listening to the show if you haven't watched the episode yet. In this case, episode one, episode two, um, because, you know, we're going to have to talk about things that would be spoilers. And I don't like being spoiled. And the second thing is, this is a TV show. And when we're talking about these people, I don't want to be unkind. Uh, you know, but on the other hand, we're talking about the characters of this show. I, I'm sure Philip is a very nice man who loves his family, but we're talk- I think we'll be talking about them in the context of being characters on a TV show in some ways, don't you think?
0: Oh, yeah. And, and you know, I think to some degree, you, you have to know what you're getting yourself into when you sign up to do one of these shows. And this is a guy who's been on TV. You don't accidentally on T- get
1: on TV. Yeah.
0: And, and this is also, I mean, he makes such a point of saying he's been on all of these reality shows. He's been, you know, he's won uh, a number of them. So he, I think he knows what he's putting out there. But uh, well, I will say before we get too deep into the ding—well, well, well, let's let's, let's—I have a couple of of thoughts on the dinglings, but let's go. We can go through a few more. So I love Chef Renee, who immediately Padma's like, (laughs) first chef on the line. Uh, So what's your deal? And she goes, "I'm the super sassy chef from Kansas City."
1: (laughs) She immediately read read to me as Lumpy Space Princess. You're, my god you guys i'm sassy check out my lumps she's uh she's uh, don't be fooled by the good looks you guys i totally live in the woods she was she was sassy and she was fun and you know in the challenges she brought a lot of of good high spirits she was a positive person but she's obviously gonna you know set out to be one of the big characters like a big personality
0: yeah i i love uh Chef uh Wesley. And uh this is the kind of the uh I would describe him as he, he may be the oaf of the season. And uh one of the first things we see of him is he's putting these tomatoes into the Vitamix and they all have the labels on them and it just <laughs> zooms right into the sticker on the tomato going right into the blender. Right.
1: Wesley's like everybody I've ever met who uses Metafilter. <clears throat> and he's uh <laughs> he's he's got he's got that vibe, but he's he's obviously being set up as the messy guy. His workstation was it was a total shit show. And, uh, and then, of course, at one point, he obviously has some food with a spoon, puts it in his mouth, and then uses it to go back into the, into the food. And, and Padma doesn't like that. But I, I like Wesley, too. Wesley, I think Wesley's got skills, but I think they're they're setting him up as the messy, careless guy. What I, I really
0: love that Padma is just like, I don't want to eat this food that you just put the spoon in your mouth like she just said it right out loud to him like i that is something in a a million years i would never have the self-confidence to like look at someone and be like don't put the spoon from your mouth in the food yeah but i just love that padma just comes right out and says it that's kind of a cool i don't know there's something kind of cool about that
1: i i love i love padma i have i have such a crush on padma and i i love the fact that she always seems just a little high not like baked but but she she really seems like she's like it's just you know i i think tom's over in the corner with a mirror but you know mm-hmm. i think i think Padma just seems like she's had a, had a couple puffs and she's she's hmm. she's very relaxed but uh yeah no i i love that scene too and but i think Wesley may be able to bring it wesley got a pretty tough bit to deal with in the quick fire and i think mm-hmm. he did what he could with it but uh yeah so okay you got wesley So we got, we got, uh, who else, who else were some of the big ones?
0: Uh, Isaac, Isaac Toops, the angry Cajun guy. Cajun man,
1: 5,000.
0: (laughs) Cajun man, 5,000. That would not be a bad, uh, like Twitter bio, I think for me.
1: (laughs) Father Cajun superman cajun <laughs> did i mention i'm cajun <laughs> who he's gonna be the guy who always wants to cook cajun and he's super confused he's very confused in the persian aisle yeah
0: i did uh i did really enjoy his story about Emeril uh taking care of the uh, new orleans chefs after katrina
1: yeah that that was nice
0: like i i have or at least in the time that i've been alive and like watching you know uh food television like emerald's kind of been a big a big goofy guy you know who was i just knew him from his catchphrases you know yelling bang and making cajun foods and stuff but uh man every time i see emerald on top chef and like hear stories about him and see him I- interacting with the chefs i just couldn't love that guy more
1: he seems like a real dude he seems, oh, he he seems, seems like, a, like a real person
0: he seems so genuine and he really he really seems to make a connection with the chefs and i think he uh has a much more of that like mentor relationship with the chefs than uh tom does
1: oh yeah yeah i i, I think so too i mean This is funny. I I was talking to some friends. We had a comic meetup last night, something we do every few months, and a bunch of us were laughing about how much we love Doctor Who, but in the Stephen Moffat era of Doctor Who, almost every episode increasingly of Doctor Who becomes about the Doctor. We're like two seconds into, or like two seconds, five minutes into the show, you know that the MacGuffin is, this is actually going to be about the Doctor. It's going to be about Trenzalor, or it's going to be about the name of the Doctor, or like, why did that happen? Well, answer, the Doctor. Wow. Doo, doo, doo. And the thing about reality shows, almost every reality show is nominally about a topic like cooking or fashion design or venture capitalism but ultimately every reality show is about itself in some way and I think you you really see that You I mean it's it's so heavily branded and in this case like it's you have to understand one must understand how much this is a platform for promoting things not, not just for you know the sponsors and the product placement people but notice how cannily like the name of every restaurant is included in the shot or you know the glad bags in this corner and I, I don't mean that in a cynical way but the folks who are on the show I think they want to win the competition they want to win but they want the exposure of this and you know being a celebrity chef and and so with somebody like Emeril I mean I think that guy's probably in pretty good shape financially and career-wise And brand wise, and all those things. So it's nice that he can just kind of relax. You see that with some of the older guys who guys and gals who come on this show, where they're real laid back judges, where like they don't have anything they have to prove, they don't have a brand they've got to go put out there.
0: Yeah, totally. And it's Top Chef is so interesting in the way that they bring brands in because on the one hand, they really do have world class chefs. They shoot at world class restaurants and locations, and they get access to a side of the culinary world that other food TV does not. Like I think they they kind of really are the the classiest uh of the of the the cooking television shows but it's so mixed with the very crass product placements of like we're gonna wrap everything in uh reynolds uh, uh tinfoil uh, you know uh and you have to unwrap it and use mystery ingredients or something like that
1: oh yeah no it's it's incredibly awkward i mean project runway is sometimes even worse but you know i want you to gather your inspiration from this kind of bean. <laughs> you know, it's, it can be, it can be kind of weird, but you know, that's, that's the thing is that, but, and that's also part of what makes it fun is that it is, it's big, it's bigger than life. And Big people, big brands, big big flavors, Max.
0: Which which was the show? There was one, I remember where the contestant, it might have been a, I'm sure it was a top dress actually, where they had to go run like a Nathan's hot dog cart and then draw inspiration from that for their dress.
1: Oh my God, there was one episode. Yeah, I, there was one. I can't even remember this. It was so contorted. But you know, in a show where you're going to be designing and producing a garment, they had to go to Coney Island and like, I think they had to like sell yogurt or something. They had to sell some brand. Yes, that was it. It was a, it was a refrigerated garment where they had to give away uh, free individual servings of yogurt. This was just the first part, though, because then they had to earn money from that. And with the money that they earned from doing that, they had to go on the midway and win prizes. And then they had to make the clothes out of the prizes that they won. So everybody's clothes were made out of out of like plush giraffes and inflatable beach balls. It's totally weak. That's right. So, you know, early, early days, first episodes. Who else? Uh, I'm trying to think of who else. I don't want to be unkind. I'm trying to think obviously, you know, there's the the setups. Angelina is going to, who's 24, we heard many times, is obviously going to be, you know, kind of the fiery young person, uh, the come from behind. There were some that really stood out uh to me. Uh Carl, uh the uh the the handsome chicken guy. Mm-hmm. Carl he did he did i think he's going to be one to watch i i really i can tell you i already i already love francis francis is the is the uh, is the asian lady who was first blindfolded by her wife
0: yes yeah she's great she's she's going to be fun she seems to have the well so here's the thing i wanted to point out is all of the sort of dinglings in this season that we're mentioning they all came all of the silliest people on on this first episode in the in the challenge they came through in a big way none of them were in the bottom
1: Right. Well, that, this is the funny part, though. So the, the Quickfire had two, two big parts to it. It starts, and it, this is, this, uh, season six, I think, started the same way. Where First, you got the mise en place challenge, and then you have to um, make stuff out of the mise en place challenge involving the relay. So should we explain what these things are to people if they haven't seen it? I'm happy yes, to tell sure. you, Max, many people have told me they listen to this show even though they, they actually don't even watch TV. So we should probably explain to them what's happening here. All
0: right, so Top Chef is a cooking show. (laughs) Okay, all right. (laughs) Television
1: is a thing. You know, so they bring in these 17 chefs, and there's two parts to every episode generally. There's a quick fire challenge and the elimination challenge. The quick fire challenge involves some kind of a task that usually is performed in under about 30 minutes, and it can involve all kinds of crazy tricks involving ingredients or time or teamwork, all kinds of different things that involve different kinds of skills and abilities, but always with two pressing parts, really. Well, potentially three pressing parts, which is that, first of all, there's usually a limitation on ingredients or style. There's usually a limitation involving time, obviously. And then there are limitations involving, like, who you have to work with, and there will be little tricks. It's not too gimmicky. But the quick-fire challenge, uh, you know, it's, it's super interesting. And some of the, sometimes what's neat about the quick-fire challenge, I think a lot of the time, is people who are not the chef to cuisine. It could be people who are fairly new. They could be home cooks. If they're very efficient and fast and creative, that's where they really shine. Sometimes is in the quick fires, and I think quick fire for the first few episodes you get immunity. Is that right? Yeah, for like the first for the first half of the season. Which means if you win the quick fire challenge, you can't be eliminated at the end of that episode. What a horrible word, elimination. And then the elimination challenge is the bigger challenge. You get more time. You get a budget. You usually go to Whole Foods. You've got to, and again, same kinds of constraints. Uh, there are, there are team challenges. There are individual challenges. But then you've got to you've got to go make something, and then the judges uh, decide. Uh, who had the best dish, who's going who's gonna to be the winner, and who's going to get tossed off.
0: Um, so the, uh, the quickfire uh, in the first episode, one of the ones that we talked about uh, that we both really enjoy was the, the mise en place challenge. So this is basically um, the, uh, they have uh, different uh, tasks that uh, need to be kind of repetitive but uh, high-skill tasks, and it's going to be a relay race to get them done on a team. And I think what we both said we, we like about these challenges is a lot of the people who make it to Top Chef, they're very accomplished chefs, but they, like, haven't um, broken apart a chicken or, uh, you know, cut up produce in years. And when you see people do this challenge, it really brings out who has this skill set from who doesn't, who's a little rusty.
1: Yeah, it's a good way to put it. It's, it's – I, I think even to put even a finer point on it, it's people who have done this thing many, many, many times, and I have to say probably people who have done it a lot recently tend to do better yep so for example when we say chef de cuisine like if you are you the head chef or executive chef of, of of a restaurant well you certainly know how to do all these things but you you may not have had to uh personally open that many lobsters in the last year or you may not have had to you know clean and like french a prime rib in the last few months and the people who do that a lot now really excel so the notion is you get a and this varies from from you know uh, challenge to challenge, but uh, usually at least once a season, the Mise en Place challenge presents you with a big pile of stuff that needs stuff done to it. So this week, it's you know, you can choose to separate eggs, you can choose to supreme an orange I've never heard that term, uh, or you can choose to uh, cut up a chicken. I thought it was really interesting that the people who did chicken tended to be the fastest because I I, I, bu- I butcher a chicken. I butcher what I do with chicken is just miserable. I, it looks awful when I'm done with it.
0: I mean, supre- supreming an orange is going to be pretty rare too. I mean, I just don't know. How often that would come into play but the chicken is like an everyday thing
1: right this this and this this time's challenge is different from the typical usually the mise en place challenge we should talk about mise en place and what it means in a minute but mise, usually yeah. the mise en place challenge is a, is a relay where uh, some of my favorite mise en place challenges are where all it breaks into like three or four teams usually i think three teams and so one person does all of the i'm trying to think of some classic ones one person has to shell clams another person has to clean artichokes another person has to cut up the prime rib and you can't start the one job until the previous person is done so if you do have a dingling going first that's going to throw off the entire thing for everybody um, but it but it's really, really fun to watch. It's it's amazing to watch. I, I feel this way about my sister in law who's a who's a chef. Like watching her do the preparation of foods is miraculous to me. Watching somebody who really knows what they're doing. And in this case, like ugh, some of these poor bastards, uh was it Wesley that had trouble with the eggs? No, it wasn't Wesley. It wasn't Wesley, it was uh uh yeah, I don't wanna know spoilers, but uh the guy who ended up losing he uh he was having problems getting his one last egg but oh my god then philip and the oranges oh my god philip was struggling mightily to get his oranges supremed and he <laughs> apparently <laughs> squirted himself directly in the eye with, with an orange which is not funny except he very dramatically takes a cup of water and starts splashing it on his face for the rest <laughs> of the challenge just kind of blinks like popeye they they have tons of shots of him just going dink 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 he was really debilitated
0: by getting a little uh, orange in the eye. Well, how
1: about wearing a shirt under your jacket to start? Jeez. What, is really <laughs> an animal? But, you know, and again, people really shone. So, so the chicken people went, went, went happy-go-jappy, just crazy, like cutting up these chickens. And I think the egg people had some of the some of the biggest struggles. Oh, and the asparagus were way harder than people expected, too. How do you – I was wondering –
0: Um. Um. you know, I can't help but, like, think about the – basically, like, the game design of these challenges and, like, coming up with, with how these – Challenges get put together behind the scenes. How do you think they picked that, you know, uh, X amount of chickens should take the same amount of time as, you know, Y amount of eggs?
1: Oh, that's a really it's, – it's almost like a German board game. Like how would you come up with the right mix of those things?
0: Yeah, I mean they must – I mean someone must, I guess, play test that. Like they must go and do it. But you're right that when, when, when you're watching it, it, really, it seemed like the chicken people and the orange people almost all finished first.
1: Right, right, right. And Tom's there with his whistle. He always has his whistle. So basically, for folks who haven't seen it, when you're finished doing whatever your mise en place challenge is, in this case, uh, sectioning a chicken or I don't know, like, what do you do to an asparagus uh, apart from cutting off the little hard part at the end? What oh, is, you peel it. You peel it?
0: You, you, take, the, you take the vegetable peeler and the, like the uh, fibrous part of the stalk, you take the vegetable peeler to it and you take out that, that outer layer of stalk and then the whole thing is very tender like the tip. Oh, my goodness. This is a, this is going to be a revolution in your asparagus uh, technology, Merlin.
1: I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and I feel like a monster. I didn't even know you could do that. You ever grill an asparagus? Oh, I grilled the shit out of some asparagus. I put a little bit of oil and a little bit of uh, brown sugar on there.
0: You peel those suckers first. Oh, I'm going to do that. Welcome to Flavortown. Big Flavors. Big Flavors.
1: <laughs> I
0: don't know why that's a whip sound. <laughs>
1: Big flavors. Katie it kind of became, 5, it became
0: like an Outback Steakhouse
1: ad <laughs> at the end there. If you can come in here and eat your weight and steak, it's yours for free.
0: <laughs> uh, should we? Ta- so I think we should. I think this might be before we get into the the general challenge. Uh, maybe we should talk about mise en place for a second because I think this is an idea that we we're both pretty interested in.
1: Yeah, I, I totally I totally agree. Yeah, no, I, I'm super interested in. it. So one, one part of the mise en place. Uh, is that ability to prepare the foods that you're going to cook with, right?
0: Yeah, so it's it mise en place is the it's the step of cooking where you get everything ready and you organize your station. But it's also it's uh, uh almost like a like an action I think of like getting your mise en place ready. But then it's also the noun of like all the stuff that goes into the dish. And then when someone I can't remember which someone like burns their garlic or something, and they were like, you know, yeah, I I, I Fell behind on my mise en place,
1: yeah, so it's yeah, it's I, like
0: a little a little component ingredients.
1: Yeah, I, I I don't know a huge amount about this, but I I, I think of it as you know the pre prep of foods you're going to cook with, and and then as you say, the very important part, how you prepare your station is I think a second part of it. So getting just the stuff you're going to need there, but I think, and maybe I'm just getting this from uh, Colette in Ratatouille, but I think the other part then is working clean and like having this whole sort of philosophical approach to how you how you work, we'll just say in a larger sense, but in this particular case, cook, that involves like just having what you need nearby and then working clean the entire time. That It starts to have an effect on not, not simply the quality of your preparation. It ends up affecting the quality of the food, and importantly, it affects the entire brigade of the kitchen. If, it's like an army. They call it you know, the brigade. Everybody in the kitchen working this way has an impact on how the food is produced and in how the kitchen is run
0: i um so I pulled out a little excerpt from a cookbook that I really love um so this is by a guy uh, Michael Roman and he's written um a couple of cookbooks um uh uh ratio and the elements of uh cooking that are like culinary textbook type books. Um, But he also has more of like a home cookbook called Roman's 20, where he has sort of 20 uh, techniques and there's uh, essays about those different techniques and how to think about those techniques in the kitchen and then like recipes that go with them, where if you make the recipes, you'll learn something about the technique. Wow. And I love that, and the first chapter of the book is just, so it's like, you know, you'd have like uh, sear, braise, boil, um, you know, even things like salt and water. Uh, But the first chapter in the book is just called thinking. And it's like how to think about the kitchen and how to think about making food. And he has this little um, essay about uh, mise en place. And I just cut out a little bit of it that I I thought I would uh, read. So this is uh, from uh, Michael Roman uh, from Romans 20. He says, uh, mise en place translates literally to put in place. But what it really means is organize and prepare. It means everything is in its place on your countertop, uh, beside your stove, on your stove, and most critically, in your mind. Mise en place. So good. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, Mise en place is a restaurant description of a cook station and and all the sixth and ninth pans filled with minced shallots and roasted peppers and green beans that have been cooked off and shocked, the trays and the low boy sea cooler with the portioned beef, lamb and pork, the Bain Marie insert filled with spatula, sauce spoon and ladle. It's a setup designed to make successful the improbability the, – uh, the improbable ability to cook and serve dozens and dozens of different dinners, many simultaneously in a very short time, day after day after day, and it works. There's no reason it wouldn't work for you in your kitchen at home. All you have to do is decide to do it. Stop and think before you begin. The importance of mise en place cannot be overstated. It doesn't simply mean putting all of your ingredients and ramekins uh, on your cutting board next to your stove – organizing your mise en place forces you to think through your actions and plan in your mind the course of your actions
1: wow that's really good i uh added that the show notes and i I would really like to check out that book to as a a compliment to that and and again you know i think i i'm a big fan of pixar movies i love ratatouille there's a there's a scene in ratatouille where uh colette who's the only kind of uh uh female chef in the kitchen is forced to sort of like Mentor Linguini and she's mm-hmm. she's really you know linguini doesn't have a clue what's going on and you'll remember the scene if you've seen the movie. Linguini's just he's he has no idea what he's doing. He's he's making a mess. And then Colette says, Ugh, your sleeves look like you threw up on them. Keep your arms and hands, hands and arms in, close to the body, like this, see? Always return to this position. Cooks move fast, sharp utensils, hot metal, keep your arms in. You will minimize cuts and burns and keep your sleeves clean. Mark of a chef, messy apron, clean sleeves. What you're getting also from this now, what we're talking about is a little bit like martial arts, where you yeah. want to have this like sent, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you want to be balanced. You want to be ready to move any direction you need to move without having to think about it. And again, and this is, I think, what we're, to, to spoil the ending here, what we're getting to is like, God, this goes for so much of how you work, regardless of what you do. You know, if, if you have a messy desk and that works for you, that's a good thing. Uh, you should have the environment that suits how you like to work. But there's something to be said for a state of mind that says, I am now ready to begin working. And I now have the state of mind of a person who will take this work seriously. You don't have to be, like, you know, uh, stressed out about it. But to say, like, this is the time I set aside to do this thing. I prepare this area to be the way that I want. And I know, and knowing that you've got everything you need nearby will reduce things like procrastination. And it will reduce things like unnecessary effort. It will reduce Wikipedia searching when it isn't really necessary. And I I think there are things to learn from this, you know, to be a master of these basic skills and then apply them in everything you do, even if it doesn't seem relevant.
0: There's, there's, I would say there's like for me I see almost two different sides of this, uh, maybe they're they're kind of related. So the first one is the more uh, almost like a mystical, like you were saying the the kung fu, you know, uh, almost like a like a like a zen or a, or a um, something. Um, um, uh, something that's that's more, you know, in your in your mind. And this is like I'm thinking of um, uh, in, a, in a very good episode of your uh, back to work program, you were sort of uh, poking Dan about uh, like knolling and organization and how that can kind of you can go off the deep end with that. And Dan made a really interesting comment. and He said, you know, if you, you know, he's like, I really believe that the environment that you work in affects the work that you do and that i've never thought, i mean it's such a simple thought but i've never like put it into words like that and i was like i i really see that in myself like and it's it's not a it's not a literal, it's not necessarily like a literal thing. It's more of like a state of mind of that. If my workspace is organized and my things are where I expect them, I find like a certain serenity in that. But there is also on the other side, there's a very practical concern of if your stuff is where it's supposed to be and you know that you have all your tools, it's easier to have a plan. It's like every, you know, it's, you can, you can think 10 steps ahead in a way where you're not always scrambling to find, you know, your field notes book or, or find the charger for your laptop or, you know, whatever it is that you need to work in that moment.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fantastic point. But I, I think part of, and I, I think it's absolutely true, but I think the thing that makes cooking in this case so instructive as an analogy for this or as an example of this is that, you know, and, and you know, if there's anything I push back on with stuff like knolling, it's like, I, I don't think it's it's bad in itself. I think finding extra things to obsess about that aren't the thing you're making can be potentially damaging so be careful of those is all i would say but what's what's great about cooking is that every tool you choose every ingredient you choose um you know every individual food uh seasoning herb whatever whatever all the stuff you're choosing the, like you said ratios the amount of water you use every single one of those decisions has an impact on the dish so just because you really like this omelet pan doesn't mean that you should necessarily be using that to roast a turkey right? There's all these decisions. Do you you take my meaning? Like every one of those decisions that you make has an impact. Like, do you you want to take out this ingredient? Like, for example, you ever had a, a table side Caesar salad? Yeah, sure okay it's one of my favorite things in the world it's you don't you don't get it so much nowadays but it, somebody who's really good at caesar salad they bring out just the right ingredients at the right time they make it in front of you it's like you know it's a whole event but then if you go to a really good place an interesting thing happens which is that when the waiter has prepared all the dressing stuff and smashed up the anchovies and i guess put in the egg and mixed all that up the waiter will excuse himself to go back to the kitchen and bring the romaine out of the kitchen chilled he won't bring the romaine to the table until it's time to put the romaine in. So sometimes it's also about knowing what to leave out at a given time. So I don't know. This may sound like you know, ponderous navel-gazing, but I, I think there are things to learn from this, to be great at those basic day-to-day skills. But then to also have enough experience and expertise that you've done it so long that you have a pretty good idea, plus or minus 80%, what you're going to need to do this now.
0: I have a great tie-in for this, but first got to talk about Garrett. We we oh, have yeah. not really talked about Garrett. So Garrett is the contestant who's eliminated in the first episode. How would you how would you describe Garrett?
1: Garrett um, Garrett has sort of a young person's uh, kind of swaggering vibe. I get. Um, it was kind of hard to – he's, he's, I hate to say this, but he strikes me as a different kind of ding that you get every season, which is somebody who, if you just watch the interviews, you would assume that they're probably one of the greatest chefs that you've ever met. But then, <laughs> but then in practice falls down on some of the basic stuff that my kid could probably pull off and ends up undermining their whole deal. But also he's the one swinging at the fences and saying, oh, yeah, she worked for Mike Isabella. He ruined Italian food. So the swaggering thing comes back to bite you a little bit, especially in the way that they edit this.
0: Boy does Top Chef love to punish people for their hubris. I mean, (laughs) maybe it's everybody comes on Top Chef with with and and says over the top things, and they only show it for the people where it's funny. But I mean, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, he still said some pretty crazy stuff. My favorite, I wrote down, I I felt like the quintessential Garrett quote. So he was talking about his uh, the idea behind his dish, which he was mixing uh, Italian and Vietnamese cuisine, and he said, uh, 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 "If you have your head up your culinary ass." You're never going to grow as a chef. Cooking is a continuation of philosophy because it's a study of aesthetics, gustatory aesthetics, which he pronounced gustatory aesthetics. Hmm. But there's nothing more connected with human existence than the cultural manifestation of cuisine. And I wound up I heard it and I was like I know these words individually, but I have no idea what they mean together, <laughs> and I took the time to write the <laughs> the quote down and I'm still staring at it and I'm pretty sure it doesn't mean anything.
1: <laughs> That's pretty ironic that comes – that that begins one of the leading sentences of that involves taking your head out of your ass.
0: Yeah, if you've got <laughs> your head up your culinary ass, you're never going to grow as a chef. Uh, and then, uh, of course, he's out. He screws up. He burned his garlic. He, and he, he even specifically says, like, I did not keep up with my uh, mise en place. And uh, then when the judges – when he's on the judging line and they're calling him out for some of those mistakes uh, and he said he did not uh, – have his uh, due diligence, which he uh, pronounces due vil- vigilance uh, <laughs> on this <his> plus. <laughs> he said, I did not do my due vigilance. And then um, I, who was the guest? Was it Gail on that episode?
1: Uh, the guest judge on this one? you know, I'm, uh, Was the French guy in the second one?
0: Yeah, Ludo was the second one. I think it was Gail. And I think Gail said, uh, there was sort of a pause after he said that, and Gail said, yeah, but in the kitchen consistency means everything.
1: Yeah yeah he um yeah 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 and again i mean like you can't belabor this too much but there is a lot of heavy editing if somebody just showed up and said hey look you know uh every week and you know they do a the little interview and they go you know this week i just want to do the best i can and i have a lot of respect for everyone here like that would not be an interesting show so i'm sure the producers prod them you know to to, to bring out these various things but yeah yeah and then of course we will meet him what's his name garrett Oh, Garrett, Garrett and then, Fleming, and then we do meet Garrett again. I don't think you've watched this yet, but we meet him again in uh, Last Chance uh, Kitchen. Oh, this I can't, week.
0: I cannot wait. Um, but I just, I just to br- just to bring it back uh, to the to the mise en place um, um, thing. I just feel I felt like that was a, a sort of a poignant. I really feel like that almost told you everything you need to know about Top Chef. Um, that he he knows that he slipped up on the little details, and you know he was trying to play it off of like, well, the idea of the dish was really strong, even though I screwed up the little pieces of the execution. And I felt like that was just such an indictment of that of of his defense, where Gail was like, yeah, but it's consistency. Consistency is the challenge.
1: Yeah, that's it's true. I, and actually, a lot of the, the BS he was saying, I mean, that makes sense. That makes sense. But you know, the, the problem with this show, in some ways, the part that's frustrating uh, is that it is a there's a reason for me that I like the Hunger Games uh, movie so much. And, you know, when I first watched the Hunger Games, I thought, oh, this is going to be a young adult thing and it's going to be like, you know, uh, it's going to be like Twilight with bows or something. But what I ended up loving about the Hunger Games was the reality show aspect of it. Mm. And one of the things that's pretty rough in the Hunger Games and, and the movie that it claims not to have stolen from, Battle Royale, is that you get a weapon, maybe, like the thing is you get a in Battle Royale, which the author of Hunger Games claims never to have been aware of. Have you ever seen Battle Royale? I have not. Oh my goodness. It's a Japanese movie from about two thousand. That's really quite good, I recommend. But in Battle Royale, one, once a year, see if this sounds familiar, once a year, a randomly chosen group of 14 supposedly 14 year olds are taken to this island where they have to fight to the death until there's one left. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little familiar. And what happens is, uh, it's one classroom, and uh, basically they give you, uh, they give you a, a, a bag, a backpack that, that and and it may have a weapon in it. Uh, it may have some, there will be some water in it. But then you have to just go out and, and like try to win with whatever you've got and get other people's weapons. Anyway, fantastic movie. I'll put it in notes. But that that's part of the problem here is that it's one thing to say like, oh, I'm the guy who loves to cook Cajun, but it does kind of suck sometimes when you know when the odds are not ever in your favor. Mm. But but that's where you that's sometimes where you see the most creative stuff come out. Some of the most interesting stuff. We talked about this, I think, a little bit last week. This and on, uh, on Top Dress. When somebody has to throw out their entire plan and do something at the last minute that's ridiculously simple, and in that ridiculous simplicity, they end up, end up teasing out something that has much more impact than they would have had with all the resources in the world.
0: Well, I think this is um, probably a good place to take a quick break and talk about our sponsor for this episode.
1: Absolutely. Tell me about our sponsor.
0: Well, our sponsor for this episode and every episode of the Top Scallops podcast is our friends at Backblaze. Backblaze is an unlimited, unthrottled online backup service for your Mac or PC. It lets you access your data anywhere. And what I love about Backblaze is you really install it once and then you never have to think about it again. It's just this tiny little app that runs in your system tray. And when you go to sleep at night, it sort of silently backs up all of the contents of your computer And uh, you never have to think about it. You just have that stuff in the cloud when you need it. Backblaze was founded by ex-Apple engineers, and I think the product sensibility really comes through. Backblaze runs natively on your Mac and PC, and there's iOS and Android apps, and there's a really nice web interface. And it's one of those things of when you need it, when you screw something up, uh, it's just there, and it just works 100% of the time. Um, best part about Backblaze is there's no add-ons, there's no gimmicks, there's no additional charges. It's just $5 per month per computer, and that gives you unlimited backups uh, for all of your work. Backblaze is also offering a free trial for listeners of the Top Scallops podcast, which is available at backblaze.com slash scallops.
1: Can I tell you a uh, a Backblaze story? Please. Literally, literally, literally a couple days ago, uh, a couple, three days ago, maybe Tuesday of this week. Uh, I had a very, very unusual and rare thing happen. Because like a lot of people, I live my life in Dropbox. And you say to yourself, well, I mean, for myself anyway, Dropbox is so awfully good. I have so rarely ever had a problem with Dropbox. Dropbox is really good. And you think, oh, I've got all my stuff in the cloud. It's in the cloud. Like, I'll be fine. But sometimes things get confused. And if you're using an app that involves syncing things, uh, apart from just the Dropbox app, it can sometimes step on things, clobber things. I had done extensive notes writing something that I needed to put a podcast out. And then I opened up a computer and the computer got confused and a bunch of my files just went away. So I went to Dropbox and I was trying to get the files back. You know, you have the ability to see stuff that's in the trash. Long story short, the fastest way to do this was to just go to Backblaze. And Backblaze has an amazing feature. You can go and restore any of your stuff. But here's the beauty part. You can say, just show me stuff that Backblaze has backed up in the last n hours. So I was was able to very quickly go into a folder and say, show me everything in my text files folder that's been backed up since 9 o'clock last night. And it took about a second, you get a zip file, it downloads, you're done. So it's not just a way to, it is certainly a way to get come back from catastrophe if you lose your whole drive, but it's also a great way to get at stuff that uh, somehow slipped between the cracks of Dropbox and Time Machine. It's awfully good at that. Belt plus suspenders, I highly recommend Backblaze.
0: I, uh, I had a very similar thing where Backblaze bailed me out where I was editing a, uh, an episode of my podcast with Pat Rothfuss in uh, the wonderful program, uh, Logic. And I deleted a little waveform, which I assumed I could just, you know, go back and drag back in later. And you definitely cannot do that in Logic. It was oh, no. gone. Yeah, once you delete it, that's the file. It's like if you delete it out of the timeline in Logic, uh, or at least with the settings I had on, that's it. It's gone. And I was like, ah, oh, that's brutal, because that was, you know, it was a 10 minute clip in the middle of the podcast. And I and I needed it back. And I was sort of racking my brain. I was thinking about like, what do I do? Do I call Pat and we get back on the phone and we have this part we fake this part of the conversation I was like (laughs) you know what I did never I never I never even got to the point on this podcast where I put it into Dropbox I never backed it up I never did a time machine I never did any of that but Backblaze was just sitting there in my system tray and it turns out that it got the podcast the minute that I finished recording it and I was able to go on Backblaze on the website and go in and just pull that one file down And it turned into like almost like a revision control system just for that podcast because it had every save version of the logic file.
1: So amazing. Well, we we would uh, like to thank our sponsor, uh, Glad Bags, for sponsoring this (laughs) week's sponsorship. This week's sponsorship of Backblaze is brought to you by Glad. Glad, it's a bag you can see through. Check it out. And then I don't mean to belabor this particular part, but then we get to another challenge that I love. Can I jump in here? Yes, please. So this is a, this is a this is a super fun challenge, and I think a very creative creative idea that is just really fun to watch. So uh, so now everybody's done the mise en plus. We have a winner. So at this point, just for what it's worth, nine people have been identified as the winners. The first nine people to finish the mise en plus challenge now have the ability to do the second part of the quickfire. If you didn't pick up already, this is a very long episode. Um, and so they break into what? Three teams of three each, right? With the idea That is of the, correct. That the winner of this next part of the quick fire will be the one who gets immunity. And this is one of my favorites. It's the Relay Challenge. So you using primarily, stop me if I'm wrong here, but using primarily the ingredients that were involved in the mise en place, you have to have them feature in what you're making. You're going to make a dish. You and two other people are going to make a dish together, but... Bump bump bum. There's a twist. You want know, to tell them about what the, what the uh, twist is? In the in the oh well,
0: I, I was I was actually a little confused about how this twist worked. But they were was it that they were blindfolded and then they had to go one at a time and work on the dish for ten minutes? This is
1: this is the thing. Okay, so here's the thing. So the three of you are going to have to make a dish, but it's again it's a relay. So what happens is you're not allowed to talk about what you're going to make. All you're allowed to talk about, you're given about 30 seconds to decide what order the three of you will cook in, and then the following happens. Two of the people put on blindfolds, and one person starts. They run to the pantry. They grab what they want. They start cooking. They start cooking. They have 10 American minutes to make the beginnings of a meal. And then when that buzzer goes off, the next person in the relay takes off their blindfold, runs in. Again, not allowed to communicate. The only way to communicate what's happening is what you can see that's being prepared, what ingredients are there. And then they have to continue without having any idea necessarily what the person started with, right? So, you know, no matter how clear can you be about what you wanted to cook. And then this poor third bastard, after the next 10 minutes is up, has to come up and finish cooking whatever that was. So it becomes this ridiculous game of telephone. Uh, and it's super challenging. And it's very interesting both to watch how people figure out what to make, to watch how people try to gently figure out how to clue people to what they're making, and then to watch how the creativity of the two subsequent cooks affects the dish that actually gets made based on what they have with the time available. It would be, it would be, it would be hard enough to say, let's make cocoa Van in 30 minutes broken into three parts, because you know what you're making. But in this instance, you may have absolutely no idea what the first person was trying to make.
0: And God forbid you, like, put something in the oven, the rest oh of your team God. is never going to see it again.
1: Yeah, big, big mistake. Um, one of the guys, he said, okay, I'm going to start making this chicken dish. I'll grab the dark meat, or excuse me, I'll grab, like, the wings and throw them on a grill. And then I'll take most of the bird and put it in the oven. And the oven, which is on the other effing side of the room. And his, uh, his buddies never found the chicken.
0: Well, and that poor the poor guy at the end of that team, I think he looked inside of every appliance in the kitchen except the oven for the rest of that chicken.
1: Messy, messy Wesley.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Did you have you have you given any thought to how you would tackle a challenge like this? You do ever watch it and you're like, I could come up with some sort of like exploit or system.
1: Have you thought about this? Because I have I have thought about this.
0: Oh, every – I cannot help but watch a Top Chef challenge and think of how I could take advantage of it. Oh,
1: my God. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever seen the movie Face-Off with Nicolas Cage and uh, John Travolta? Have you ever seen <laughs> that fan. film? Big fan. Okay. Big fan. So uh, we uh, – I, I think you're probably friends with them. My, my friend John Gruber and his wife Amy Jane Gruber saw this movie, and they, they realized that they wanted to come up with a way that if one of them ever got their face swapped with somebody else, they'd be able to identify who the actual one was. Mm-hmm. And so they developed a code word. And mm-hmm. I heard this, and I thought this is brilliant. How can you start preparing for these situations that seem like a fantasy? But I'm saying, Max, if you and I ever get on this show, I would just my idea. is I would like to figure out a way that we could cheat. How would we let each other know? Should we agree ahead of time on like? Should we have like a, a system of knocks? That's what I was
0: thinking of some sort of some sort of Morse code or uh, some sort of coded, you know, some sort of smoke signal system. Uh, when you're in the gallery, you can. You know, you can do like a tap, tap quicker for hot or cold.
1: Oh, that's a, that, that's a great. Or maybe, maybe you could whistle a certain song. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. Are there songs about things like, uh, like uh, chicken legs? I think I think I, a lot of blues songs. Well, you better look in the oven, cause the chicken might be there. Testify. Or you could spell it in garlic powder. You could like spell the recipe out. I guess that would technically be cheating. I don't know. I just feel like there's a way that we could probably game it. I think so. So
0: I have – so take this with a tremendous grain of salt because I heard this from a, like a friend of a friend of a friend who's someone whose niece was Facebook friends with someone who was on Top Chef. But I was hearing the story of some contestant who – I they, by the time it reached me, I, they didn't even know who the contestant was, but it was someone on Top Chef. And they said that one of the things that was really surprising – was that before you actually go into the challenge so you know Padma and Tom or whoever the hosts uh, for that challenge are will come in and explain what you're doing and then you're given like a like a legal, document, like a contract that explains the terms of the challenge and specifically forbids all of the ways that you're not allowed to cheat and all of the specific, um, um, you know, stipulations and rules for that challenge. And you have some amount of time where all you're doing is reviewing that contract and then you sign it and you say that you understand what the rules are. So I think that they're actively trying to discourage sort of sideways... Problem solving. That
1: actually, that is super interesting. Interesting to me, and explains a lot. My assumption would be that there is probably something you sign at the beginning. That's a general thing. There's something very specific you sign when you're chosen for the show. I'm guessing there's a lot of legal documents. But what you're describing actually explains something. Why don't more people deliberately undermine other people's dishes? If we take that this is a competition and not just a way to like, be fancy on TV. But you know it's kind of surprising that there isn't more like, deliberate undermining. Once a season or so, you'll see, who turned off my burner and stuff like that. But you don't see people screwing with other people's food on this show. And I'll bet that's because of the contract.
0: That is entirely possible. I mean, part of me wants to believe that, you know, when you're when you do a show like a top chef or a top dress, people are sort of executing their craft at a level where that is that that there's an amount of professionalism where you just wouldn't do that. But you're right that they do really. I mean, they really do get the personalities who would undermine each other on the show sometimes. And you really don't you really never see it.
1: I think we should agree On a principle that would be so general that we could pull it out without getting caught, which is if, as is very likely to happen at some point, you and I are both selected to be on a TV reality show that involves a relay involving food, which I think Mm -hmm. is probably pretty likely to happen, just given Mm -hmm. the odds on -hmm. on an infinite time scale. I think we should agree that it will be, I think we should have a protein. Mm -hmm. We should have a protein and we should season it Mm -hmm. somewhere where you can see it. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do for a side? Can we agree, agree on like a green vegetable?
0: Well, maybe it's like the vegetable that we pick. Maybe we have like almost like a, like a semaphore system where the combination of vegetable and seasoning signals where the different components of the dish are in the kitchen. So it's like if you leave something in the oven, you got to get the old bay out.
1: Okay, let me, let me put a little bit of sriracha on that. Have you seen the movie The Martian? Yes. Okay, I think we go with hex code. Okay. We, we take the ingredients that are on there. And in a way that will not seem implausible, we create a, kind of a circle. It's like a clock face. Mm-hmm. And then we spell out various parts of hex code with garlic powder. And then you point the parts of the chicken and, in a way. Now, this is all you would really need for this is some kind of a code book and maybe a computer. But okay. I think maybe, how about this? Let's keep it simple. You, okay. put, you put the chicken down and you point it at the stuff you want. Like you have its little arms pointing at the right thing.
0: So if the chicken is pointing to the raw potato and codeine pills, I know that that's the dish. Do you think
1: that's too obvious?
0: Yeah, I think that's a little uh, – no, I think it's – I think what's great about it is uh, y- y- uh, you could read it quickly you know, when you have your uh, 10 minutes to do the challenge, and uh, no one's going to suspect a thing unless they ever listen to this podcast. Did,
1: did, did I just hear you recommend we, we cook a chicken with codeine?
0: Yeah, it was uh, – uh, that was uh, – that's what he did in the, uh, the Martian. He took the potato and he dipped it right in the codeine.
1: He dipped his because he just ran out of ketchup. That broke my heart. I, you know what? I like the idea of, of, ch- of codeine chicken. Yeah, they're not going to see that coming, and they're going to be like, "Oh, holy shit! How did two people independently arrive at the idea of cooking codine chicken?"
0: Uh, Tom's really going to be in a good mood after that.
1: <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> well, yeah, and then also we should work out the taps. We'll have some time when we're backstage with our. Hey, we want to thank our sponsor, San Pellegrino water. <laughs> I'm I'm literally drinking. Listen, I'm literally drinking San Pellegrino water right now. So are you? Ba- you're back on the
0: bottled. You're not. Uh, you're not doing the. Um... Uh, this is still, yeah.
1: literally don't get me started. This is a shit show right now. I I fell off the Soda Stream. Uh, my mm-hmm. bottles were getting murky, and I, I just couldn't I couldn't abide the bottles. And I need to get new bottles. Uh, I've actually actually I've got gas in the tank. I just need to get clean bottles. But okay. I'm going through cans like a crazy person, like a 12 pack a day. It's miserable.
0: there have been so many times when I was listening to uh, to you and Dan talk about the Soda Stream where I like had it up on Amazon and I was thinking about buying it, but just kill it. Kill buying something where where. Like, it, part of buying it is that I have to continue to buy more stuff afterwards just kills me. I know. The, consu- the consumables, it just kills me. Yeah,
1: my friend Leslie, the late, great Leslie Harpold used to say, I hate buying toys for my toys. Like, yeah. you buy an iPhone, and now you got to buy a case for it, and you got to buy apps for it, and pretty soon you're covered with eels. The other thing is that soda streams have gotten very diverse and confusing. Also, they make them in an occupied area of Israel, which makes some people kind of mad. Oh, you got to be kidding. You got to be kidding. It's a company me. that's not, not Israel, but I guess in Palestine, in the uh, occupied territory. Wow, the geopolitics of
0: SodaStream are very complex.
1: Yeah, boycott Scarlett Johansson. Wow. We should get back to this probably. Anyway, I think we'll agree. Uh, so we definitely want to have chicken. It'll be pointing at some codeine, some kind of a green vegetable. And mm-hmm. can, we, can we just agree not to like, hide the food somewhere where you wouldn't find it? Well, I mean, what if the chicken needs to go in the oven? Oh, there should be a way, You get what do they call it, a pigeon drop? Or uh, there should be a way, like with Spycraft, that we could let the other person know, go, go find a chicken in the oven.
0: You, uh, you take the sriracha bottle, you write a little note right on the countertop.
1: <laughs> you just you draw a, a crude, uh, slightly three-dimensional looking oven. That's actually, I wonder why, I mean, that's brilliant. Like, with, you could draw arrows and letters?
0: I wonder if that's explicitly not allowed in the Top Chef rules that we don't get to see.
1: I have to imagine that there are people listening to the show that have been on Top Chef. If you have a copy of the Top Chef rules that you have to sign, could you please send them to us? Or if you know of them out there, uh, point us to them.
0: Boy, that's scary.
1: So who ended up winning? I don't remember who ended up winning.
0: Oh, I don't remember who ended up winning either. Was it? No, wait. I, yes, I do. It was, uh, it was Lumpy Space Princess, wasn't yeah. it? Chef Renee?
1: Oh, was that right? Was it? It was the team that made—you know, I don't even remember. I'm, I was so oh, stressed out. I
0: don't remember who won the quick fire. She won the, the general challenge in episode one, right?
1: Yeah, and this was an interesting challenge because this was an unusual— uh, did you catch what their budget was? They had no. $500 for this for this one, and they had to go cook for a lot of people. Well, how many portions was it, though? They said it was for 200 people, but they were in those little, little joke-sized portions, most of them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's—I mean, f- I think $500 is a pretty healthy budget for a top chef— uh, you know, a uh, shopping trip, but that's also a lot of food that you have to get.
1: Yeah, I blacked out for a lot of this episode, um, but uh, I'm trying to remember some of the high points of this one. You know what? There's a lot of cursing this season, I'm noticing. As I watch this with my eight year old daughter, and they, they blip out the word, but they still got the asterisks with the F and the K, and, and she, <laughs> tell, she tells me what word that is just in case I didn't get it. So, what did we learn at the end of this episode uh, I'm trying to think of uh, gosh I'm really trying to remember what happened by the end of this one we've watched too much top chef in the last day Oh it was too much
0: it was too much t- too fast um, well I did i did I do remember that uh, Tom gave them a sort of a, a little pep talk at the end, which I actually really enjoyed and I also like that they call all the chefs in for the judging all at once. I mm-hmm. think that's a good format I like seeing the people react to the judges criticism
1: yeah yeah and this is another one though where as with top dress you know it all comes down to that implementation and like what you can actually produce and like put on the plate is always going to be you know no matter how fancy your idea is like you know it's going to be what gets on the plate that's going to have the impact on people and so we lost garrett in this one Right. Yes.
0: Yes. Garrett went home, and uh, when ta- when they did say how ba- how terrible it is to be the first one to get kicked off, and then uh, Padma uh, said, uh, "You know, uh, Garrett, I'm sorry, you're out." And then he just had this little pathetic "ouch," yeah. and I really did feel for him uh, in that moment.
1: I have a feeling it won't be the last we hear from him. I uh... <laughs> every I time just, uh... every time somebody leaves, it won't be the last you hear from me. Well, actually, I think it probably will. <laughs> I have a pretty good sense. I'll never hear of you again. Boy, would I love to see
0: Garrett again on some sort of Top Chef, you know, spin off property.
1: Yeah, those shows are weird. There's, I just started watching because I was waiting for Top Chef to go up the other night and I ended up watching Top Chef Duels. Have you seen Top that? Chef Duels? Is, is great. I love it. good. The first one yeah. was uh, Richard versus Marcel. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was pretty entertaining. A lot of trash talk.
0: Yeah, I um, there's something very pleasant about uh, the uh, duels and the Top Chef Masters and all of that. They're a little more deferential to the uh, people cooking, and they get, they uh, get
1: good it, judges too. That's a lot of times when they bring in the real heavy hitters.
0: Yeah, and they get a lot of creative liberty to cook whatever they want, and it's fun to see them get to kind of go crazy with it.
1: So, neither Max nor I remember that much about how this ended, so we should probably go to uh, episode two.
0: Merlin, that's why we're the pros. That's why we're doing the podcast.
1: Ooh, episode two, big flavors. Flavor, flavor bombs. bombs. Welcome to Flavor Town. Develop the flavor bomb. It's an improvised flavor device. <laughs> Which way is the chicken pointing? Check the sriracha oven. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I thought this was a good one, too. I like this one. Uh, no quick fire. So the
0: contestants are just sent off to sort of uh, four. They're broken into uh, groups of three, four groups of three, and they're sent off. Is that right or no? Four groups of four.
1: Uh, at this point, it's four groups of four. We lost one guy. We lost Burnt Garlic Boy. So now we have a nice even 16. Padma's back looking great. I love Padma's new makeup. She's got a new kind of evening look that I'm really enjoying. Uh, she looked fantastic in this episode. And uh, as far as Tom... How is is Tom okay? I think Tom seemed mostly okay in this one.
0: Tom, uh, Tom seemed frustrated in the judging of this one.
1: Well, you know, Tom, what Tom is looking for—I don't want to speak for Tom—but I think one thing Tom is looking for is big flavor. <laughs> and the thing about a lot of ethnic cuisines, also vegetables, is you're gonna want a big flavor, a kind of a flavor bomb,
0: mm-hmm. a, bold to, flavor.
1: a bold flavor. A bold flavor—that's the thing—is that's the spirit of the challenge. You're gonna want to really develop those bold flavors. So you get a real depth of flavor. Just once, I would like them to say, sometimes they will say this is too spicy or this is too salty, but just once I would like them to say, I I think this flavor's too bold. I would like this to be a little (laughs) more subdued. Could you make this a little more like something from the British Isles that I'd send back? (laughs) Governor? The flavor goes too deep. Big flavors this week. Here comes the flavor bombs. This is going to be a big week. It's a huge week. These are four teams of four. They're going to be sent out in branded vehicles all over town. And I think they were chosen for the groups.
0: Oh, man. They were on the roof, and was it just random?
1: I think it was random. Was it the button bag? Uh, So you got the the Persian food going to Westwood. You got the blue team is going to do Mexican. Uh, The purple team is going to go to Koreatown. And so they don't know. That's the thing. It's like they're on these teams, and they don't know where they're going to be going. They get sent out in black vehicles. I do like I do like that every almost every
0: car full of people as they're going somewhere, someone in their car says, I hope it's not ex cuisine. Isn't that and a funny that, coincidence? And then one shot later they pull up to that cuisine. You know, <laughs> I really hope it's not Mexican, and then they pull up to a Mexican restaurant.
1: <laughs> you know what people I hate? Korean. <laughs> hope we don't go to Koreatown. Womp womp. Sorry, purple team. Suck a nut. Uh, so the, uh, and of course, believe it or not, there's a little bit of drama and some varying skills. Uh, Philip with somebody passes by (laughs) Philip's, Philip's restaurant where there's a giant, uh, photograph of Philip outside. (laughs) Philip, AKA man bun, uh, shirtless guy.
0: I thought that uh, – so one of the things I really liked about this format was um, each of the restaurants that they were cooking in, the proprietor of the restaurant was there. And this was someone who had a lot of knowledge about yeah. the type of cuisine that they were supposed to cook. So, for example, one of the groups wound up in at this vegetarian restaurant that, where they had this wonderful garden full of like fresh vegetables. And the owner of the vegetarian restaurant was there with them. Uh, you know, able to tell them about the ingredients and give them advice. And ver- the different teams were able to use these experts in, in, to varying degrees of success.
1: Well, the per- without, the, without the Persian lady, I think they would have been a little lost.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the, they were so – I mean it was really interesting. They walked in – or at least the way it was shot. They walked in and almost immediately started asking her what what I would say were pretty humble questions. What does this piece of equipment in the restaurant do? What are the flavors of Persian food? Yeah. And the other teams, like the vegan team that really got themselves into trouble and the Mexican team that, that really got themselves into trouble, uh, they 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 just – Brushed those guys aside. They were like, oh, well, I'm an expert in this. I serve this in my restaurant. Let me tell you how it works. That's a
1: really, that's a, you know what? That's a really good point. Or, for example, uh, like Giselle was getting set up. Giselle, she had kind of long curly hair, hair and she was going to be portrayed as the flighty talk too much lady. What was her famous line? Korean wings. They're super spicy and something makes them red was, was her remark. In, in the grocery store. In the grocery store. This this is
0: my favorite moment of the restaurant when Giselle was talking to the group, and she's like, she's like, well, I've eaten a lot of Korean wings, but I've never executed them before. And there's just this long silence as everyone at the t- team is staring at her. And then she goes, you guys aren't going to let me fail, right?
1: <laughs> Something makes them red. But she's also the one who, in the Korean grocery store, like buttonholes the lady with the cart and asks her, like, basically how to make wings, which I thought was kind of fun. Yes. There's, you know, this is a funny thing about confidence is that, you know, confidence can be such a great thing in implementation. I always think of confidence. I think confidence and arrogance are different things. Arrogance is the thing that says that I I will not fail, and if I do fail, it will be someone else's fault. Confidence is the thing that says like I'm going to make a decision and see it through to the best of my abilities, and then recover as I need to. I think those are very different things. So I, I, I'm with you. I think confidence. Actually, is very well suited. I think humility goes well with confidence because it means a sort of softness and openness about what you're doing, and uh, you see that sometimes in the in these challenges. If the person comes in and goes, "Oh, I have this vision for this dish, the dish I plan to make," if if one part of it, you know, doesn't go right, like what's her head freaking out over her yellow beans in the uh, in the store? Like you've got to have that was uh, oh Grayson, Grayson from uh, the previous season. Remember she right. freaks out about her beans, right? So I don't know if you agree on that, but like you can see that like, God, if you're going to survive this, uh, you're going to have to be really uh, pliable about like implementing on what's available given the time and the resources.
0: Uh, Some of the Cards Against Humanity guys and I did a vacation. We realized like we travel together all the time because we go to conventions, we do work stuff, we do writers retreats. And we realized like we haven't, uh gone somewhere as friends in like 5 years and we were like, we, we better remedy this. Like, we need to just go hang out somewhere. So we planned, uh, we planned it like a year in advance. And we did this trip to Japan this year. And it was an unbelievable trip. Uh, had an amazing time. And it really brought um, – I really noticed this very interesting thing, which is uh, – so of the – there's eight of us who started cards. And I'm definitely the stupidest of the eight guys. And this goes back to like when we, we all went to school together. I mean we went to like middle school and elementary school together. But in high school, the other guys were class rank – one through seven, and I was class rank number, you know, 350-something. Uh, so I was just not uh, – I just was not operating at the at the same level, and I never have been as these guys. And they're all, like, you know, PhDs in astrophysics and psychology and stuff wow. now. Um, so, they're, I mean, they're legit I, – and I, I don't use the term lightly, but they're, like, actual geniuses, and, and I get to – and I benefit a lot from how smart and um, awesome and uh, nice those guys are. But it was a very interesting thing of when we were traveling, you know, occasionally we would be uh, – find ourselves in some sort of int- – interesting historic or tourist destination in japan and i did notice that the some of these guys who are like the smartest people i know as soon as we got a tour guide they wanted to pull the tour guide aside and tell them everything they knew about japan (laughs) right and i was like that is there's some sort of weird anti-pattern there of like the more the smarter you are and the more a part of your identity it is that you know this one thing you know if you have a vegan restaurant and you wind up with the guy who's going to guide you through the vegan challenge, the less able you are to listen to this expert and sort of humble yourself and imagine that there's something that you could learn.
1: God, that's so freaking smart. What a what a really good point. And I think you are here re- referring to Philip, who, yes. uh, who goes out of his way to interrupt the guy to mention that he has a vegan restaurant. That's right. Uh, boy, you know, that's so true. And, you know, I, I never know quite the words to... Uh, Correctly uh, phrase what it is I'm trying to say, but like in in this instance uh, of trying to say like I'm, I'm finding myself using words like softness or pliability or openness that, you know, if you can stay relaxed and open. It's you know. And there's a wonderful talk by John Cleese on creativity where he talks about the open mode versus the closed mode. Well, I'll find it for notes. It's a fantastic talk. But I love that idea of, of the open mode. And the open mode is where you are you are looking to gather information without judgment. Whereas, like with the closed mode, you're much more in this kind of hunkered down, almost defensive mode. And when you're telling people in Japan how their country works, you're not really in the open mode.
0: Yeah, I mean you you see this all the. T- I mean, I I. I found this um, when I took philosophy classes in school. Well, I think every, I think I went through this. I think everyone goes through this where it's like uh, when you, whenever you get into something that's very complicated, you know, food, philosophy, anything where there's like all of this history and all of this knowledge and all of this technique and this – um, uh, depth that you need to understand. It's like first you get to the point where you know two or three things, and then you feel like a genius and you want to tell everyone. And it actually takes a while before you get to the part where you realize how much you don't know.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I've heard that called the Dunning Kruger effect. Or, yes, you know, exactly. Uh, and I'll put that in notes as well. Yeah, but in uh, in the in the words of the um, of the Dreyfus brothers in their work on uh, expertise you can get into what's called being an advanced beginner, which is like in the five stages of development of expertise where you go from a novice to being an expert. The novice at least knows that he or she does not know anything. So in terms of cooking, it's, it's ironic you should say that because I, I find cooking to be the most interesting way to understand expertise because everybody can understand it. The person who's a pre-novice doesn't even know what they don't know about what they don't know about, whereas somebody who's a novice is very open and going like, I can do this if I very carefully follow this recipe. If I listen and I follow directions, I will be able to boil soup. The problem is you get to the next level of being the advanced beginner, and now you have just enough knowledge of the domain to really get yourself in trouble, with the primary problem being you don't actually know how much you know or don't know because you're not qualified yet to know how much you don't know. So knowing how much you know is important. Knowing how much you don't know is even more important.
0: And I, I think what's, what's so interesting about that stage is your world is so small because you have a lot of confidence, but you only know a few things.
1: That's right. I mean, and so many of us end up deriving our sense of expertise based on how few times we set ourselves on fire. So, so <laughs> while, while I'm, I'm personally not an acolyte of the church of, uh, you know, worshiping failure, I think one thing that is interesting about failure is that the people who end up being really great at something are not just people who've succeeded a lot. Because if you've only succeeded a lot— it's difficult to call yourself an expert the person who's who's succeeded and failed maybe is getting closer to that but the person who's succeeded and failed different times and understands why that's that's the expert like you're not really an expert until you've really screwed up a lot and and know that problem coming you've solved this problem or not solved this problem so many dozens of times that it, neither one is going to be intimidating to you right it's not just that you go like oh you know uh, i'm undefeated well you know i'm defeated and now i know how to deal with that Right.
0: Well, can I can I push you on that for a second? Yes. Do you do you think that people who succeed n- necessarily have any insight into into their success? Because I I often find myself at conferences, you know, listening to um, you know I don't know some successful like startup founder talking about you know the three things that made his startup successful, and I'm like, this guy doesn't know why the fuck he succeeded. It's mm-hmm. it was he was in the right place at the right time.
1: Yeah, I I mean, there's 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 a couple different churches that end up being heavily affiliated. There's the church of success and the and the church of failure. There's there's people who succeeded a lot and like they really want to let you know about all the things they've succeeded at and the reasons why because they've got eleven reasons or nine reasons or seven points about why they're in the three comma club and you're not. And you know, um, there are so many radio on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) well you know you've got you got all kinds of stuff we certainly do not want to disqualify important things um such as the fact that you're just a brilliant human being but it does really help to consider privilege it helps to consider luck it can it helps to consider like when you were born there's all these different things and i would be careful how much advice i take from somebody who's had a couple things go okay before they're 30 I, I have not met that many people under 30 who have that much wisdom when they haven't even had their ass kicked that many times. But then on the other hand, there's the church of failure, which I think can be equally annoying. And that's the people who constantly want to tell you, like, how important it is to fail and all the things to learn from failing. Well, you know who's excited about failures is people who've been successful. Because you don't hear about the failures of people who failed 15 times and never made anything good, right? You're only going to hear about it from the people who are now comfortable enough with their success to tell you what they failed at. That's not that's not that interesting. I mean, it is kind of interesting, but again, what about privilege? What about luck? What about, all, what about being um, just the people that were around you? It's, I don't know. It's such, it's such a strange thing. It's like I you know, I, I, can, I, can, I can be served some goulash and taste it and know that it's goulash, and that doesn't mean that I would be good at reproducing it just because I can identify what it is. It's just that sometimes we happen to be standing in the right city on the right day and then feel like we're just the, the most uh, successful person in the world. It's odd. It's an odd thing. What do you now? You tell me. What do you think? What do you think when you hear those talks? What goes through your mind? Well, I, I,
0: I I don't have a. I don't know that I have like a like a strong opinion. Other than I'm just I'm just naturally skeptical of people who have their you know their uh, three three simple pieces of three power tips that you need to for success or whatever. Uh, You know, a system that's that's a little too neat and has like some even number of uh, commandments associated with it. Um, But uh, every
1: reliable list has a prime number. That's how you know it's true
0: uh i do there is something that the the thing that particularly bugs me is i think it's it 's a it's particularly a San Francisco thing where there is this uh, mythology of the it 's this sort of American mythology of the guy who like bootstrapped their success and they did it all themselves and they had these smart insights and they uh, used all the tools at their disposal and they made this great thing and they were successful and, you know, nobody helped them and they did it themselves. And that I'm very skeptical of because, um, you know, I've been through enough projects, you know, that's never the case. Like you always benefit from, uh, a million things going back to your childhood and your education and so on and so forth that, that you had nothing to do with. Um, and I think that's the, one of the things that I, that, that I, you know, I take guilty pleasure in, in top chef when you have one of these, uh, chefs like, um, uh, uh, Scarecrow, uh, who's, uh, you know, uh, talks about, uh, uh, how great he is at making vegan food. And then it's like, well, you know, he's got his four power tips for success, uh, for understanding vegan food.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. I mean, I I sometimes feel like we're very fortunate to, to live in the time where there's probably the greatest number of geniuses of all time. There are so many people who are sure that they're geniuses right now that it's, (laughs) It's, and then, of course, there's even more unacknowledged geniuses. That's the worst kind of genius. It's terrible to be an unacknowledged genius. Um, yeah. yeah. I think this is a theme that will come up again and again. <laughs> yeah. As with Top Dress, it depends on what, what gets on the runway, what gets on the plate, and then, like, what are what are your various reasons why that went the way it did? But I don't know. I mean, it's a reality show. It's It's fun to watch how people thrive or don't in these necessarily convoluted and confusing situations. That's that's kind of what makes it fun, you know. Merlin,
0: what are who are your picks for this season? Like, do you have a do you have a guy?
1: Yeah, I got I got some guys and gals. Um, I hadn't thought about this specifically. There are some that I like and I think will do well. Um, I think Frances I like and I think she's gonna do pretty well. Frances is the Asian lady with the wife. She's got the kind of streak of, of white in her hair. She's maybe maybe Filipino? Like where do you think she's from? Uh
0: I think that's she said she cooks Filipino food, so that's a good guess. I
1: think she might be Filipino. She's uh she's she's a pistol. I think she's gonna be a lot of fun. Um I think Carl is gonna go a long time. He's the handsome guy with the chicken. I think he mm-hmm. did I think he did really well. Uh, then you got you got kind of the middle of the crowd group. I, I Jason, I don't know if Jason's going to go all the way. I think he'll be around for a while. Um, oh, oh, God, Amar! I think Amar is going to be a big hitter. Amar's the guy from the Dominican Republic. Yes, yeah, he's he has done very well in all the challenges so far. Who do you like?
0: Uh, my picks are going to be um, uh, Kwame. So Kwame did very well in both challenges, but especially in the second challenge where he sort of saved the Mexican team with how good his dish was. Right, right. Um, And he's not getting a lot of screen time, so I have a feeling he may be um, kind of uh, uh, – he he reminds me a little bit of uh, Kristen from early in her season where you didn't see a ton of her on camera until you did, and she sort of broke away from the pack.
1: Yeah, but he's he's very sane. He might be the sleeper. because uh, he, he's he's very uh, sane and well put together. He mentions having kind of a tough background, kind of a, yeah. kind of a screwed up child. He's a, I think he's a, an African American guy. Uh, you know, ten years ago he was having trouble, and now he's got his own restaurant. And so yeah, he's getting set up to be the sleeper. I think like he's the one who's going to maybe lay low a little bit through the season, but might be a big hitter at the end. Who else do you like?
0: Oh my God, I mean, he's younger than me.
1: Every single person it's... on the show is younger than me. I checked. There's nobody on the oh, show that's... that's my age.
0: That's that's very upsetting. And welcome to the new demo. Ooh. Uh let's see. Going down my going down my list what here. About Grayson, I,
1: you think Grayson's gonna make it?
0: I love Grayson. I love I Grayson love, too. I love watching her in the kitchen. I think she's like one of the best personalities that's ever been on the show. I would be shocked if she makes it past the third episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, she's one of the ones you pull for, though. You know, she's not I'd... quite the 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 the, the wacky dingling outsider, but you know, she's been on the show before. She's a lot of fun. She expresses her emotions, and uh, I, I hope she's around for at least a few episodes.
0: There, there is a person. Uh, it's so funny because she's not the first contestant who's been in this position of like they find themselves back on Top Chef for a second go, and there is a little bit of an attitude where the return contestants get, where the judges give them criticism, and then they just stand there and they're like. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way.
1: Right. And in order to be a truly tragic figure in the the kind of classic sense of the word, like you should get that second chance and you should screw up for the same reason that you got thrown off before. That's this show. You mentioned this before. It's a little bit like, like Olympus. And you imagine everybody up there with the chess pieces moving the people around. That's kind of how it feels sometimes because you mentioned the hubris. You know, it will be edited around somebody showing their worst hubris about the one thing. The only thing that could possibly go wrong is I leave this in the oven for two minutes too long. The,
0: as soon as they the say oven. it.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I like chef uh, Chad White.
0: And he's this is a guy with a big beard. This is a Macklemore guy.
1: Ma- uh, is it? Well, he's kind of yes. like Kevin, Kevin, Kevin from uh, That Season Meets Macklemore. He's got the Macklemore yes. hair and the big red beard.
0: That is correct. And I like uh I think he acquitted himself pretty well in the in the Mexican challenge and uh He had a bad I, carrot.
1: Didn't he have a bad carrot?
0: I, I, lo- I don't know. I just like I just like watching him. Yeah, he did not his food did not come out great. He's he's
1: got the vibe of somebody who'll be around for a while. Exactly. I think Wesley will be around for a while. Yep. LSP is out, man. I'm yeah. I was super surprised that LSP got out that fast.
0: Did she win the first challenge? I really can't remember.
1: I can't remember either. I blacked out. But we, oh she, uh, she went down hard in the uh, in the last one, and hers was a oh the the poor vegan team, oh my goodness, they did not develop big flavors. <laughs> <laughs> and then, <laughs> here's, here's th- my here's my quote. I think this was this about Grayson. Your green beans died for nothing. Uh, I love Ludo. <laughs> that guy's great. He's a pistol. He was on I think the
0: first season of Top Chef Masters and just lost his shit in the kitchen, and uh, it was very entertaining to watch.
1: Oh, I love Top Chef Masters.
0: It's got a, got a bit of a temper.
1: So there's Top Chef, just to clarify for folks, there's Top Chef Masters and Top Chef All-Stars. There's Top Chef Prime, which is the show where a bunch of people come on and compete. They're usually professional cooks. Then you got Top Chef All-Stars, which are people who did, usually did well in a season of Top Chef but did not win, Correct. Yes, if that's all stars. And that's those are correct. actually I really like those seasons. That's a lot. Of, those are a lot of fun. And Top Chef Masters are where you bring out. It's more like Iron Chef in some ways. When you say you bring out somebody who's like a, a very well established chef, often somebody who's been a judge on the show and then they compete head to head. And those those are fun and super, super professional.
0: Uh, in addition to that, you have Top Chef Just Desserts, which has been canceled due to its awfulness. Uh, you have uh, Desserts Top... are
1: always the hardest. It's rough. Yeah, got uh, Top Chef Quicksand, uh, where 60 <laughs> people are caught in Quicksand <laughs> and have to prepare something. You got Top Chef Ferris. Yeah, to, uh, Top Chef Ferris wheel. You show up every week, they give you a Ferris wheel and whatever ingredients are on it. Usually not very good. thought that was going to be like Top Chef uh, Tim Ferris,
0: where you have to life hack your uh, way out of a cooking challenge. <laughs> Wait, I got one more. Uh, Majory. Oh, Marjorie? Marjorie. Marjorie. Majorie, Majorie, Mar- Mar- Ponytail. Marjorie. Ponytail
1: work for Mike Isabella. That's my fault uh, card. Love Marjorie.
0: And speaking of desserts, she killed it with the – she won this challenge with the dessert.
1: It's always where it falls apart. The desserts are so hard. It's so interesting that these folks can be good at at such a wide variety of things. But I get – you tell me. I get the sense that baking in particular, not just desserts but baking especially – is a specialty.
0: I think cooking is very, can be very loose, very improvisational. You can react to what you have. I think baking is much more like chemistry. It's, it's much more regimented. Yeah. It's, it's, you don't want to improvise when you're baking. We probably need to start wrapping up, don't we? Maybe
1: we could start with Last Chance next time.
0: I think that's, a, I think that's what we should do. And then uh, I have a couple. Let me, let me, let me tease a couple of uh, topics. I got a couple of note cards. Yeah, uh, for, for a future episode. Uh, let's see. No card number one. We should write down who wins in the future. Uh, that okay. may come into play in our conversation. Try,
1: try not to black out before the end of the episode.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, well, I think we were in a fugue state.
1: Oh, my God. I'm so oh, anxious sorry. about this. Max, this has been terrible for me. I usually enjoy this show, and I've just been flustered the whole time. Okay, so card, card number one. You know what? That's a good note. I'm going to be soft and open about that. We should remember how the show ended.
0: Yep. I think that's one of the key pieces of information to take into the podcast.
1: Maybe we'll be the first Top Chef podcast where we don't remember how the show ends. It's spoiler free. <laughs> Even we don't know.
0: Uh, uh, we got to talk about Shark Tank. I uh, because <gasps> you brought it up last uh, episode. I started watching a couple of Shark Tanks, and it's uh, it's so boy, do we, boy do we need to talk about that show. It's terrible and, uh, and
1: addictive and awesome and <coughs> terrible.
0: Now, Merlin, are you familiar with a program called Master Chef Junior?
1: Mm, I'm afraid I am. <laughs>
0: I think that's. I think we've got to go over oh God, whatever whatever did. cocaine
1: Tom hasn't finished. I think Gordon is gobbling up his forelock. Quivers. You ever notice? He, he starts quivering. He's talking about the challenge and what's involved with the look. At, and he gets his little knife look at the layers of the tomato, the tomato, and his little forelock starts quivering. It's, it's very distracting to me. You're talking about the one like where the girl. There's a little girl. He's up there eating jelly uh, or gummy bears with that little girl, and she's like undermining, like deciding who she can beat and all that stuff yes that's a great that's a great show my daughter will not watch it it makes her too upset
0: wow all right we've got i we got to get into this so this is it's all of this and more coming up this season on uh top scallops top scallops welcome to flavor town
1: and the only way we can properly end this episode uh this segment is uh sponsored by cards against humanity which is uh in turn uh sponsored by backblaze we would like to do we want to point out our uh do you have a pick for uh, product placement of the week
0: Ooh, product placement of the week. So my girlfriend is uh, rewatching um based on our um uh, first episode that we talked about, you had mentioned that in season six, the Las Vegas season uh, was your favorite season that you were rewatching, and she found an unbelievable piece of trivia about season six, which is season six of Top Chef was sponsored by some kind of aquarium company, what? and they had an aqua- they had an aquarium in the chef's house and two aquariums in the
1: judging room. I had and That was no a sponsored <gasps> product placement. No idea. I had no idea. Oh, now I'm going to watch for that. No, we got mm-hmm. Secret secret product placements. Okay, okay. What if what if we just didn't know? What if the call's coming from inside the Macklemore? What if those haircuts are sponsored by Macklemore and we just don't know it? What if the tattoo industry is sponsoring this show? <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be the tattoo removal industry. <laughs>